as we come to God's word together, let's ask God to speak to us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we have just sung, our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. And as we come to your word now, we need your mercy. We need your help to open our eyes to see Jesus. And we pray, show us him, show us his compassion, show us his heart for the lost people of this city and for the way he has found us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know you well as a church family, uh, but as part of commission, I know a little of your history. First as TBT, the Bible Talks, uh, and then as Christchurch Mayfair. You are a church that has, by the grace of God so far, been greatly used by God for the advance of his gospel in this city and across the world. Praise God. You're a church that has a great track record of praying for, raising up, and sending out full-time gospel workers into God's harvest field. Praise God. You're a church that uh, gives generously of your people, of time, of leaders, of money to see new churches planted, like St. Paul's Haringey. Praise God. And you're a church that continues to want to demonstrate both in, in, in word and in deed, in practical terms, the compassion of Christ for those in need in our city, like the Tamar Project. Praise God for his work in and through Christchurch Mayfair. And we in Chelsea, let me publicly say, we are very thankful to God for our partnership in the gospel with you through the sen your sending of Andy and Katrina Mason and a little team to go to St. John's Chelsea uh, over 13 years ago now, and your continued commitment in prayer, in giving, and in sending workers to support them and to, to help us when we got going at St. Andrews 10 years ago. We very, very are thankful to God for your partnership in the gospel. But my question for you as a church this morning is this. How are you as a church, not just in 2020, but for the next decade, going to keep those gospel priorities as your priorities? Let's face it, here is the morning congregation uh, with lots of little children around. Not only are you coping with the fast-paced turnover of life in London, the commuting in and out, the turnover of people, that's kind of, if you were here in the evening congregation, you're kind of used to that. But now you've got these little things running around. What wonderful, uh, how wonderful to see so many young children uh, here this morning. And as some of you are no doubt experiencing, when kids come along, they have a habit of kind of resettling life and resetting life. How do you use the morning congregation here at Christchurch Mayfair, with all those pressures crowding in upon you, how do you keep God's gospel priorities as your priority? Well, the answer isn't rocket science. It's the same as we would say at the start of every year. It's keeping our eyes upon Christ. Keeping our focus upon him, upon his reign, upon his return, upon all the blessings we have in him. And we do that as we come to his word, as we come to church, and we do that as we pray. And it's that element of prayer that I want us to focus on this morning, as we come to look at Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38, uh, all of the churches across commission are looking at these verses, both this Sunday and next Sunday, because these verses take us right to the heart, and we see the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 9, verse 38, as Jesus says to his followers, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers 
into his harvest field. As he teaches us to pray, both in the more well-known Lord's Prayer and this little prayer, we see the priorities of Jesus' heart, and the priorities for you, and I pray for us as a church. And can I say, if you're new uh, visiting today or you're very new to Christian things, you're very, very welcome here. It's a great church to come to. I hope that for you, as we look at these verses together, you'll, you'll see something more of the priorities of what it would be like to be living as a Christian and why this church and churches across Commission prioritize getting this wonderful good news of Jesus out to as many people as possible, as you saw uh, in the video. Why is that? You'll, you'll see that from these verses. So here's something to write down, if you want something for your notes. Here's a prayer for 2020 uh, that comes out of these verses. A prayer for us all. That is, ask the Lord to give you his heart to work your part in his harvest field. Four sections we're going to look at. Ask the Lord to give you his heart to work your part in his harvest field. That's, I think, the summary of these verses. We're going to look at each of those briefly in turn. First, ask the Lord. Jesus has been uh, traveling, verse 35 tells us, through our towns and villages, teaching, proclaiming, healing. And verse 36, he sees crowds around him, and he has compassion on them. He so wants to get the good news of God's kingdom to all of these crowds. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so what he does when he sees these multitudes before him is he says to his disciples, I want you to go tell them the good news about me. He doesn't do that yet, does he? Do you notice? He will do that in chapter 10, verse 6. He'll say, go to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven. He will do that. But before he tells them to go, do you notice what he tells them to do? To pray. In 9 verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes our response when we see the crowds around us who don't know Jesus, what can I, what can I do to get the message to them? Who can we send? Who can we train? But Jesus says, it's got to start with prayer. Now, I know that I can feel so overwhelmed sometimes by the needs of my own family, our, our little local church, our local community, let alone you see a video like that and you realize nine million people in London, maybe eight million know nothing of Jesus Christ. And you think, oh, it's so overwhelming, I just can't see where I can start. But that's okay, because it's not my job to try and figure out what's the very best thing to do for the eight million people of London. The Lord Jesus Christ has got that one, that's his job. He's pretty good at that. And I can trust him. So if he tells me, start in prayer, demonstrate my trust in him to do that eight million people work by, by prayer, I can do that. So you see, faced with these vast crowds around him, the Lord Jesus says, pray. Ask the Lord. Start there. Because the Lord Jesus knows that as we pray, so God will work in us and through us. What does he ask us to pray for? Well, secondly, ask the Lord, secondly, to give you his heart. To give you his heart. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, 
he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is only ever used of Jesus in the Gospels. It's, it's a word that literally means your entrails, your guts. So it's describing a gut-wrenching desire to help, to do something for people in need. Most of us will have experienced this at some point. Perhaps we've been by the bedside of, of someone we love and we are desperate to help them and we can't do anything to help. That gut-wrenching desire, I, I want to help you. Perhaps we have loved ones in Australia and we see the, the bushfires raging and just feeling that gut-wrenching, I wish I could do something to help. We know what that feels like. But often, if we're honest, we don't feel that gut-wrenching compassion, that desire to help the people in our office or on our street or the fellow parents at the school gate. We don't feel like that about them. Why is that? Well, it's because unlike people who are in obvious physical danger or need, for the most part, we simply don't see our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues as needy. We see them as quite sorted out people. Yeah, they'll have one or two issues. I mean, who doesn't? But we don't feel that gut-wrenching compassion for their desperate situation because they seem fine to us. And that's because we don't see other people as Jesus sees them. Because when Jesus looks at your neighbours, at your work colleagues, at the parents at the school gate, what does he see? Verse 36, he sees them as harassed, helpless. Harassed, well, um, harassed to us means a bit hassled, doesn't it? You know, you're running late for a meeting, you haven't quite got the kids to school on time. Actually, the word that's used here is stronger than that. It means you are being bullied or oppressed. It's a... It's a you're at the mercy of others. And they're like this, Jesus says, because they're leaderless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And the shepherd imagery, if you know your Bible, it runs throughout the Bible. It's used deliberately here by Matthew to point us to the fact that the shepherd that they need is Jesus himself, the good shepherd, who will at the end of Matthew's gospel lay down his life for his sheep. Now, I don't know if you see much sheep, you don't hear in Mayfair. We uh, go on holiday to Wales uh, quite regularly, and we've got a little uh, place that we go to where there's a hill farmer called Hugh who keeps lots of sheep. Um, a few years ago, we went in the lambing season, and our little two, Malachi and Summer, who'd never really been out of London, got to see sheep and lambs for the first time on this beautiful Welsh hillside. And what do they do? Of course, they go into the field with all the sheep, and they go crazy running about after them. And, and they thought it was brilliant, because Malachi runs this way, the sheep run the other way. So Summer runs this way, and the sheep go this way. And these sheep are going to and fro and to and fro. And Malachi and Summer thought this was brilliant. They were harassing the sheep. <laughs> Hugh, the hill farmer, appears on his quad bike with his two Welsh collies and whistles. And all of a sudden, Malachi and Summer go, oh, and they come back to us. And the sheep know exactly who's in charge and they go to shoe. Now, that's kind of the image that's going on here as Jesus looks at our friends, our work colleagues, harassed and helpless, going around to and fro. They need the shepherd. They need his guidance and leadership to get things in order, except it's far more deadly than that because the forces that are harassing and hassling your friends, your work colleagues, are not two innocent little kids having a bit of fun. They're wolves who only have one thing on their mind when they see a flock of sheep, 
They want to trap them, pin them, and devour them. Sin, the world, the devil. They're the forces oppressing our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues. They will lead them to destruction. The Lord Jesus is very plain about that. Hell is a reality. That's why he came. He came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21, you probably had it read at carol services galore. But we know from the beginning of Matthew's gospel, that's why he's come, because of the deadly danger of hell, because of unforgiven sin. So you see, when Jesus looks at your neighbours, your work colleagues, your parents at the school gates, the eight million people in London who don't know him as their shepherd, what he sees is a flock of sheep being pushed around this way and that, being bullied and oppressed by sinful, selfish desires who are in desperate, desperate danger. Because he sees people who are clueless, just as we once were. (coughs) Clueless as to the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. People who know nothing. Maybe you were like that once. I know I was. I had no idea. Is that how we see our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues? That's how Jesus sees them. Harassed, helpless, leaderless. They need the shepherd to lead them, to save them. And so as I read these words and I think about the neighbours on our street, I'm praying, Lord, will you give me your heart for them, please? So that rather being envious of their multi-million pound houses and their multi-million pound lifestyles, it is Chelsea after all, rather being envious of them, will you give me your heart to see them as you see them? They're lost sheep. They're in desperate danger. They need you. Please, Lord. So praying for 2020, ask the Lord to change your heart, to give us the compassion of Jesus to see the people that we know as he sees them with eternal realities in view. And as we do that, as we pray that, so the Lord will go to work in our hearts. So if you don't want to be changed by God, don't pray it. (laughs) He will change your heart. And certainly my experience, as he changes your heart, he leads you in paths and directions that you might never have chosen, but which are so good. He changes our heart, and then we'll find that we're willing to work our part. Will you change my heart to work my part so that I'll do what I can do? We see in verse 37 and 38, uh, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's very plain, there there are not enough workers for the plentiful state of the harvest. There's more work to do, more people who need to hear the gospel than there are people to tell them the gospel, says Jesus. As that leads into his prayer, verse 38. But my question is, who are the workers? See, one way of answering that is here at CCM, you say, okay, we should be committed as a church to, uh, to praying for, raising up, and sending out full-time gospel workers from within our ranks because there'll be some here who God will take to different parts of this country or the world to tell people the good news of Jesus. Absolutely true. 
please don't stop doing that. Please keep praying, raising up and sending out full-time gospel workers. But there's a danger for you as a church. That is, when you're part of a church that has a great track record of that and is committed to doing that, it's easy to hide behind the, well, I'm not the sort of person who God would ever send overseas because, you know, frankly, I'm rubbish at languages and that kind of thing. Uh, And so we never think of ourselves as workers for the harvest field because that's what other people do. That's the full-time people, not me. But think about this in another way. As we pray, asking God to give us his heart, his compassion to see the people around us as he sees them, as he changes our hearts, so what you find is he changes your attitude that you begin to see, I want to play my part in your harvest field. Because actually I'm a worker too. I'm not the same sort of worker as the full-time worker who goes to one of the stands, but I am a worker in your harvest field. What can I do? Um, There's an illustration coming up here. Hopefully it's arrived on the PowerPoint. Do you have a PowerPoint slide? You don't? Okay, don't worry. Uh, Some dots. (laughs) You haven't got it? Okay. Uh, Right, you're going to have to work with me here. Imagine a screen full of blue dots. This is an illustration from Mark Green at the LICC. I find this really helpful. Uh, blue dots everywhere, which represent the 8 million lost people of London. Okay? And down right in the corner, in one little corner, is a little bunch of red dots. Okay? That's us, the church. There's all these millions and millions of blue dots. And right in the corner is a little holy huddle of red dots. That's how we can tend to think of ourselves, with all these people out there and there's us in the corner. But actually... The Sovereign Lord, in his wonderful wisdom, we're not all just huddled together in the corner. There's red dots scattered all around amidst the eight million blue dots. A dot here, a dot there, a dot in a school here, a dot in an office there, a dot down there. And that's you. As Mark Green puts it, you're a marketing man's dream because actually the brand of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is carried by you, his gospel, is dotted all around the city in offices, in communities, in schools, in colleges, right around everywhere. Christians dotted around the whole of the city. And our danger is that we think we've got to be going out full time when actually we're already in communities and places where God has put us as workers for his harvest field with connections with groups of people all around us who need to hear of Christ. When we pray this way, asking God to change our heart, that we would each play our part, those parts that we will play as workers in his harvest will be very different. We're not all going to look the same. He gives us different gifts, different abilities, different connections. Sometimes he gives us restrictions, limitations. But those are part of his good sovereign plan. We can still play our part. When we learn to pray like that, what happens is we learn to pray, Lord, will you allow me to meet someone today who I can share Christ with? Will you put someone in my path today? Will you, Lord, give me a a heart for the, the people around me in this street that I'll just get to know them a little better rather than just rushing to work and rushing home again? 
it may be as you pray that, like this that God changes your heart to give money sacrificially to a gospel work in a way that you hadn't done before. And that may open up in a conversation in the office when people are talking about charities and what they give to, and you say, oh, I, I give to this gospel work. And they go, why did you do that? And they have the opportunity to speak about Christ as well as give to Christ. It may be as you pray like this for God to change your heart, to play your part, that you think, well, we could adopt some kids to raise them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll certainly provoke conversations. It may be that as you pray for God to change your heart, to play your part, he lays on your heart a desire to reach out to some of the most needy, like the Tamar people here, or to start a book club with the mums at the school gate because you want to develop opportunities to take the opportunity to see these people come to know of Christ. See, if we're serious about asking God to change our hearts, to play our parts, if we want to see people as Jesus sees them, don't be surprised when God begins to show you ways that you can work your part in a way you wouldn't have envisaged. Perhaps not in a way that you necessarily would choose, but it'll be his way because you're asking him to change you to do what he wants you to do, and that is good. So it's a prayer that we're asking the Lord to change our heart, to play our part, fourthly and finally, in his harvest field. You notice that in verse 38, it says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's God's harvest field, and he tells us the harvest field is plentiful. Why does he tell us that? Well, it doesn't mean that every time we, having prayed and thought that we seek to share Jesus with someone, that people will say, oh, wonderful, I want to hear more about this. No, just read chapter 10. As Jesus sends his disciples out, he warns them very clearly they're going to face opposition if they talk about Christ. But it does mean that although we will meet many who don't want to hear what we say and don't want to know why we've adopted these kids or give this money because it's nothing to do with them, there will always be some somewhere who do want to hear. We're not the ones who get to determine where the harvest field is most abundant, where it's in season and ripe for harvest, are we? Because it's, it's his harvest field. It's not ours. But there'll always be parts of the harvest field, his global harvest field, where there is abundant harvesting going on, even if in our particular part in the work he's given us to do, it's really rather slow. And so what I've found is when I get discouraged, which can happen very easily in London, when I get discouraged about the slowness of the gospel work in our own particular part, it's so encouraging to look around and discover and see what God is doing in other parts of his harvest field. It's a real motivation to keep going. Confession time here. Christian minister, I used to be really jealous of the good gospel work that was going on in other places. That's just the sin and ugliness of my heart because I wanted the glory for me rather than being content to work my part of his harvest field and if he decides it'll be this little part, hmm, why can't I have that part over there? That looks much nicer. No, I'm still a work in progress. We all are, aren't we? But thankfully now, the Lord has worked on my heart a bit and so I can now rejoice 
as I hear of gospel work in another church in London or see the extraordinary work that God is doing, for example, among the Iranian community. There's wonderful work that God is doing both in the country of Iran and in the Iranians here in London. If you go and Google evangelicals now, uh, they had a recent article on it. It's absolutely breathtaking what God is doing. So when we recognize his harvest field, that means we can find encouragement about what God is doing right across the world and in other places in our city to keep us going and keep us encouraged that he is doing his work even when ours seems slow. And that's where resources such as reading Operation World, the Joshua Project about unreached people groups can be really helpful. And we've done this with our children as they've grown up. There's a children's version of Operation World, which is absolutely brilliant for just getting your horizons off. Okay, it might be tough here, but let's look at what God is doing elsewhere and learning to pray for God's harvest work right across the world. So as we conclude, how, is you, how are you as CCM going to keep going with that gospel momentum, that gospel focus, so as we keep our eyes upon Christ, listening to his voice, and depending upon him in prayer, will you ask the Lord to give you his heart to play your part in his harvest field? Let's pray together now, and then we're going to come to the Lord in prayer as a family. Let's pray. I'll give you a moment of quiet. Perhaps there is something the Lord has particularly pressed upon your heart that you want to bring to him. Then I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you know each one of us here today. You know all the circumstances of our lives. You know the, the pressures we live with day by day. You know the joys and the sorrows. Thank you that you have brought us here to be in this great city of London, to be part of this church family for this season. And we pray, please, would you help us keep our eyes upon Christ and give us his heart, his gut-wrenching compassion for the crowds, the people around us, so that we would see them as you see them, as sheep without a shepherd, desperately in need of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you have placed each one of us in communities, in offices, in groups of people, in your sovereign plan. You've put us there for this season. Would you help us see how we can play our part in getting the good news of Jesus to people around us? And we ask this, Heavenly Father, for it's your harvest field. You've chosen to call us as workers for you. And we pray that we would do so gladly, knowing the wonderful salvation you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who saved us from our sins. And so with that wonderful assurance of your goodness and grace, help us, we pray, in this coming year, become more like him, hearts like him, ready to play our part in his harvest field. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.